were you on January 15, 2009, when you learned of U.S. Air Flight 1549's landing in the Hudson River in New York? I was walking through the lobby of Elon School of Communications when I noticed on the large television people standing on the wings of the plane atop of a frigid body of water. And like everybody else, I was stunned. Little did I know at the time that one of the last passengers to exit the plane was a businessman, Dave Sanderson. But he was not one of those bodies who stood outside the fuselage in silhouette in the mid-afternoon sun. There was no room for him on that wing, so he jumped. That Thursday was a defining moment in Dave's life, and the lessons he learned that day are lessons that apply to the work and the lives led by sports information and communication administrators in college athletics. Dave's story is uniquely his. What he has lived through can teach us a great deal as we continue to move through the challenges brought on by the pandemic, as we strive to kickstart the office environment, build a rapport within the department, and so much more. My name is Trip Durham, and I am thrilled to join COSIDA on this ongoing exploration of leadership for the members of this great profession. Dave, I welcome you to the June Stewart Leadership Series, and let's start as we have started each podcast to date. How do you define leadership? There's a lot of ways to define leadership, but I define leadership as someone who has the capacity to translate their vision into reality and helpfully maximizing their team efforts towards that vision. So I think a person who's in a leadership role needs to be able to understand the mission so his team can execute the mission. On that day in 2009, you were returning home to Charlotte from a business trip in New York. What kind of leader were you before you stepped on the plane? And how has leadership changed you since you jumped into the river beside that slowly sinking aircraft? You know, I think I, I think we all maybe overjudge our leadership. I think I was a good leader. I would step up and do what I had to do. But that day brought a lot of leadership abilities out, I think, because I think everything that I learned up to that point came to play. I had the opportunity trip back in 2001 to escort a gentleman in General Norman Schwarzkopf and had a one-on-one -on -one interview basically with him for about 30 minutes. I had the opportunity to be with him and he shared the mindset, his mindset about leadership. And one of the things that he taught me then and came to play that day was when you get, when you're given the opportunity to lead, lead. Don't step back, step up. And I think that's what happened that day for me and it really reinforced that when you're given the opportunity to step up, take it and run the ball with it and lead uh, lead people because leadership is all about leading people. Dave, when we think about leading, we know that you can lead in good times and in challenging times. Uh, you didn't know when you stepped onto that plane that you were going to have a challenging time ahead of you. In the moment, how did you find yourself deciding how am I going to lead to help people get off this plane? Well, candidly, that wasn't my game plan initially. My game plan was just get to the aisle, get up and get out. But when that, that, what really changed for me is something that I heard in my head when I got to the aisle trip from my mother who had passed away in 1997. And what I heard her tell me in my head is, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And that gave me, I think, the reinforcement I needed and the mindset that I needed to be able to step up and do what I had to do at that moment in time because I knew if I did the right thing, my mom never lied to me, Trip. You know, I have to say, my mom never lied to me. So, uh, you know, and she was up in heaven, so she probably had a pretty good seat to watch. So I, I think that really helped reinforce me to take the actions I was going to take because at that point I didn't go out. I went towards the back of the plane to see if anybody else needed help. So I think at that moment in time, I think what we heard is learned from our parents and other people, our mentors, come to forefront at that point in time. 
want to go ahead and get to one of the critical questions early in our conversation. You wrote a book entitled Moments Matter. While sitting on the plane as it was descending towards the Hudson River after the bird strike had made its way through the engines, you knew that a moment mattered in your life. In college athletics in the world of athletic communications, it changes so rapidly. What advice can you offer our sports information professionals about recognizing in the moment with so much swirling around them? that this moment could matter. Trevor, I think if we've learned anything over this last year is that things are moving so rapidly that these defining moments are coming so quickly that you have to be ready for them. And I think, you know, whether it's COVID or the social justice questions or this election situation where people are so dug in, I think that, you know, sports actually led the way, especially with COVID, because if you remember back, COVID was going on, but until the something happened with the Utah Jazz, all of a sudden it came to the forefront. And information directors and athletic directors had to make a call in that moment to do the right thing, not only for their teams and their, and their constituencies, but for the environment they're in. So I think if I was if I was coaching any sports information director right now, I'd say, you know, right now you got to be ready. You have to be ready to be flexible, and more importantly, be resourceful. And that's what I'm talking about now is transforming yourself with being resourceful because things are happening so quickly. Was it hard for you when the plane was heading, uh, descending, and you didn't know it was going to be the Hudson River as a, as a passenger at, at a certain point, was it hard for you to become flexible? Did you have to pull upon something that said, all right, now I have to pivot? And I know pivot's uh, an overused word these days, but how did you make that mental adjustment? I believe that it comes back to, like I said, resourcefulness. I, I had multiple game plans going on in my head because there's really about two or three different options were going to happen. Number one, the plane was going to go down and crash and I was not going to be here. Didn't have much of an option at that point. Second option, it gets down, but I get injured. So what am I going to do at that point? Third, I get down, I'm not injured, but now I've got to get out. So I, I, I was running through these different game plans, just like coaches do on the sidelines when they're seeing things develop on the football field or the baseball field or the basketball court. They have to be able to adjust quickly to the, what the other team's doing. So I had three scenarios going on in my head at one time. And as you know, approximately after about 60 seconds after we crossed over the bridge is when we crashed. So I only have about 60 seconds to run these game plans. So once we hit, I looked up, looks all light out the window, Game plan one was I was alive and I wasn't injured. Now game plan three came into play. How am I going to get out of this plane? As a follow-up to the moments matter idea, you know, in the moment we can think about that a moment is going to matter, but we also don't really think sometimes about what the after effect of the moment might be. Dave, the reason I bring this up, you told me a story one time about putting your wallet in your waistband. And I want you to tell our listeners that story because I think that's an example of making a decision in a moment that will have a long lasting effect. So being conscious that there is a byproduct of the moment. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, that that came just from training. I'm always having identification on myself because like you and your wife, I travel the world. And one of the things I learned about traveling the world is you better have ID on you at all times, because if something does happen, someone needs to be able to uh, get in touch with the embassy. So when that moment came and I saw we were crossed over the bridge and I made a decision, I had to, I had to have ID on me. So I pulled the wallet out of the briefcase, put it down into my pants. Now, the reason I put it down into my pants, because number one, it wasn't gonna go anyplace. 
Number two, if they did have to strip my clothes off, if something did happen, it would be right there for them. So my mental thought process was if something did happen, at least I wanted my family to know that I was there. And second, they would know who I was. And also as part of that, which I haven't really talked about, is I had my medical ID in my wallet likewise. So if something did happen, they at least got to see some of the things that were going on with me. So I think it's very important. You, you, know, you got, especially with if you're in athletics or sports information, you got to think two, two or three steps ahead. You have to be able to see what's going on because one of the things that I learned by being the head of security for Tony Robbins was the key skill that he was looking for in me, this was a skill for anticipation. He wanted me to see where the puck was going so I could be where the puck was going, not where it is right now. So I, I believe that that served me greatly that day is the skill set of anticipation. Dave, when the plane landed, a crisis was now being managed. And it's my hope that no one listening will ever be involved in a crisis of that magnitude. Uh, as you've had years to digest the minutes and the hours that followed your time in the river, what have you learned about managing a crisis? Well, one thing I've learned very quickly, because one of the things that do doesn't get talked about a lot that day was how 155 people who did not know each other or care about each other came together in a matter of six minutes to do something that had never been done in the history of aviation. So how do you rally a team when all stuff's breaking loose around you and who they have different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different religions? We all have a different focus. Well, I think what happened that day and what, why it came together is because everybody checked their ego at the door and had a common mission. And if you watch the movie Sully, I think one of the captains of the ferry said it very eloquently, he said, no one dies today. I think that was the mindset, that everybody's here together, no one's going to die, we got to do, do the right thing by everybody else. So everybody got on the common mission, and I think that's the key thing in times of crisis. Everybody has to understand what the, the key outcome is and get focused on it, because if you have someone who does it and veers off, now everybody's eyes go to that. And now you're off mission, and now things can go sideways pretty quick. Sort of a goofy follow-up, you had six minutes to coalesce the group, or the group had six minutes to coalesce itself. Sports information departments, it takes months, if not academic years, to bring a diverse group of people together. Uh, the goofy part of it is they don't have the luxury of six minutes, and I know that's a bit of a juxtaposition. What's your advice about trying to get a group together that is so diverse, not only in, in the sports information department, but also the entire athletics department? Yeah, and thank you, Trevor, because you know, I've had the honor and privilege of speaking to many different athletic departments across the country over the last 10 to 12 years. And I've seen a lot of different ways people have are going about how they're going forward with their athletic department. Some are doing very well. I see some of our challenge where some some teams are so siloed to get in these meetings, and I sometimes get called to these meetings with all the different head coaches and assistant coaches, and I'm supposed to give inspirational leadership, but they're all in their silos. They're all it's about their sport, them. And I think the ones that I've seen that are successful, it really has to come down to when you you have to get everybody on the same page in the same culture. So I think that's that's truly important when it comes together for athletic departments and teams. I'm going to put you on the spot. Breaking down silos can be really tough. Is there a trigger? Is there a particular way that you have found that helps to sort of tear those walls down? Yes. And, you know, and one of the things I've learned through all my training is that everybody has, everybody, it doesn't matter whether it's you, me, it doesn't matter who it is, 
have six primary needs they have in their life. The first one is they need to have a need for certainty. They want to have control. They want to be in certainty. But what happens in life is you get too much certainty, you get bored. So the second major need is you need uncertainty or variety because you see people in their 50s and 60s go all of a sudden go off on they're going skydiving things like so because they want uncertainty because they've had so much certainty. But the third major need everybody has is the need to feel important or significant. They have to stand out. But the problem with that is if you're always standing out, it's hard for the fourth one to come into play, which is connection. How are you going to connect with, with I'm always the main guy and you're not? And the fifth one is the need for growth. Everybody has the need to grow. If you're not growing, you're dying. It's just, that's basic, simple. But the sixth one is where it really starts coming together is the need for contribution. So one of the things that I, I look at when I get together in a group or I'm speaking to a group, I scan the room and I try to quickly identify what's that primary need that person is going for right now. And because everyone's got a different one. Everybody's got the six needs, but everybody has one primary need they go to in times of crisis or times of challenge. And sometimes it's a need for certainty. And that's what's been challenging this last year. Because especially in athletics, there's no certainty. One week you're playing, two weeks you're not playing. And all of a sudden you have uncertainty. Oh, by the way, I've got to go schedule another team now. How am I going to do I mean, there's so much that. So I think part of this is, is understanding what's the primary need this person at this point in time is going for and how do you feed it? And that's what I do when I get to a room from a speaking trip, is I quickly identify what people, I don't get them all usually, but what, they, what they're driving for. So when you hear my language patterns or my visuals or how I move, it's to really enhance and connect with that person and build rapport by understanding what their primary need is. I want to transition to another topic. And Dave, there's really no easy way to position this next thought. So I'm going to be fairly blunt. COVID-19 was the cause of a great number of personal and professional plane crashes. It's been hard for many of our sports information members to, to recover. Yeah, I, I think not only in sports information, but in general society. And one thing that I've learned that's helped me tremendously and hopefully helping other people that I speak to, it's, and I tell people, it's easy to blame events. But if you keep blaming events, you never give yourself the opportunity to grow. See, on 2009 trip, after the plane crash, I didn't blame the plane crash or that recession that was going on in 2009 for my happiness and fulfillment. I found two ways to be able to grow out of a traumatic or challenging situation. The first way is, is you got to change your life situation or conditions. You just have to change what you're doing. But second, you have to change or change your worldview. And that's what changed for me dramatically after the plane crash. My life conditions did change. But what changed more was my worldview. And all of a sudden, when those two things changed, I started growing massively and being able to connect on a different level. That's how you and I came together. This guy changed the worldview of what I was doing. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm with you up in Burlington, North Carolina. So I think those are two ways. You can't blame events. So how do you grow? Either change your life conditions or change your worldview or both. Your comment really brings to mind a, a bit of a follow-up. When you made your way onto the ferry, and got back to land, the Red Cross was there not only for you but for everybody. And metaphorically speaking, a lot of us don't have our own Red Crosses that we can go lean on in times of trouble. How do we grow? How do we flip our perspective? How do we find a group or a new anchor for us to rally around? Great question. And I just actually wrote a blog about this this last week, Trip. It's called My Ride or Die. 
And I think that was a, it wasn't initially a strategy, but you know, I, I had, had somebody came into my life who I could trust implicitly, who, who knew my background, knew everything about me. And so I trusted her with everything. So when, when things got tough, things got challenging, she would hold me to account. She would not let me lower my standard because most people will lower their standard when they get challenged like that. They'd rather go along with the crowd than hold on to their standards. And so I wrote this blog last week because I wanted people to know that a strategy to grow out of a, not only a COVID, but a challenging situation is to find that ride or die. That person that you can trust implicitly 100% of the time who has your back, who has your well-being, but also holds you accountable. It does not let you lower your standard. I think that's what the Red Cross I did for them and they did for me. And I think everybody can have their own Red Cross by doing finding their own ride or die. I'd asked you earlier to define leadership, and I wonder if you'd do the same and offer a little bit of advice for sports information professionals. Um, you define leadership really, really well. How do you define empowerment? Well, the classic definition is to give power to somebody else. But I want to sort of put it in more of a sports and coaching situation because, I, you know, I love athletics. I do a lot with uh, athletic teams and athletic organizations. And this is one something I learned from my mentor. His name was Bill, who was here in Charlotte, North Carolina with me and really helped grow me. This is what my third book's about. It's about the lessons he taught me about success that he learned in 1929. And one of the things he taught me was the difference in how to empower people between management and leadership. And he told me, he said, the difference between a manager and a leader, whether it, whatever business or personal situation is, a manager will give have a situation and they'll spend 15 minutes of time explain to you the situation, how to handle it, everything you got to do, and they give you five minutes to ask them questions. But Bud said, but a leader, though, will empower them. He said, he'll give you five minutes, this is the mission. And then empower his team to give you 15 minutes to give me questions. And I'll give you all the information I can, but it's your job. I'm empowering you to solve this issue. And that's the difference. And he, it was a great lesson for me to be learn from being a manager to becoming a leader. 5 plus 15 is greater than 15 plus 5. Part of my takeaway from that is you have to check ego at the door. Am I wrong at that? No, and that's what happened that day on the Hudson River. Often I tell people one of the things that gets underplayed a lot is that no one cared, like I said earlier, black, white, gay, lesbian, it didn't matter. Everybody checked their ego at the door because they had the common mission. And a true leader will hold people to that mission, set it out forward, and go with it and support people to get things because Canley Trip, there's some things I did really well that day, but there's some other people on that, that plane, that situation, that did things better than me because they had a skill set better than me in that specific area. So I think that's why you got to check your ego door so that person can handle this better than I can. I'm stepping back, I'm going into a follow road, then I'll step back into a leadership road when I uh, have to see a skill set that I can excel in. While you were sitting on the plane that day, while you were swimming towards the ferry, while you were lying in your hospital bed, you could not have envisioned being where you are today. What have you learned and what can you pass along when it comes to visioning? Well, I think one of the things I learned long ago and my, my mother taught me this and people I've been around, the great leaders is everything happens for a reason and a purpose and it serves us. And you know, and I talk about a situation that happened Shortly after the, the plane crash or the miracle on the Hudson, when <clears throat> excuse me, I was in the green room of Good Morning America with other passengers in the crew. We just got done doing the show, and 
Everybody was in there talking, but one of the passengers went into a rage or went into a very vocal situation, we'll say it that way. And I'm sitting here looking, it's like, what's wrong with this guy, right? Some other people are like, what's wrong with this dude, right? We survived a plane crash, we're on national TV. What's his problem? And what I found out, I found a couple things about him. Number one is that the, he had so much devastation going on in his life, he was going through a divorce and he lost his job. He associated devastation to that plane crash. Everything in my life went down. Where I had a different reframe than me is, this was a blessing for me. Look at all the people I get to meet now, what I get to do and help help people. So the meaning he attached to it produced a different emotion. And I think that's that's a telling thing with people right now. Because everything happens for a reason. And with the meaning you attach to something, it produces the emotion. And whatever emotion you're in, that's what's happening with COVID. Some people are looking at it as, I've lost my business, i lost my money, i lost my job. Oh my, what am I going to do? I don't see a future. Where some people said, you know what? I can go make sanitizer now. I can make money a different way. And I have a friend who just did that. So I think that's uh, that would be. I think that's really one of the, things, the greatest things I learned out of the situation. I'm hearing that you need to be an active participant in your own life, and you have to pay attention to the variables going on around you. You have to keep your eyes open. And uh, you know, I don't want to go, you know, religious on this, but you know, one of the things that Jesus asked his disciples to do that night is stay awake. And I think the people who are now growing out of the situation, whether it's COVID, social justice, whatever it is, is they're seeing everything around them, but they're not judging people. I think, and that's I talk about what what changed for me in my worldview is that is I became so I, I noticed myself in the past I'd be very judgmental. I would judge somebody quickly. Okay, you know, this came from the 60s, right? You see see people with long hair, they're hippies, okay? I've already judged them, right? And my dad would judge them, right? So I, I followed that mode. But I realized after the plane crash, if I could change that one thing, if I could be less judgmental, how could that impact my life? So I, I started intentionally stopped judging people until I got to know them. And that changed the direction of my life. So if I was coaching any coaches, sports information director, and athletic directors right now, I'm building a team. Don't judge anybody. Don't judge wherever they came from. Don't judge your situation. And if COVID has brought nothing else out as that, you know, if someone says they're having a problem with the situation, don't judge it, right? Some people I see judge people. It's like, this person's weak because they can't get through it. And you don't know what that person's background is, right? So I think uh, I think that would be something that I would uh, coach people on, and I do coach people on, on how to get grow out of a tra traumatic life experience. You have an opportunity in the late summer of 2021 to actually face a fear. Now, I'm going to call it a fear. You may not categorize it as that, but you're going to have a chance with the Navy SEALs to actually swim the Hudson River. At a time in your life when you try to get out of that water, you're going to find yourself conscientiously and with purpose getting back into the water. Yeah, and I was very honored to be asked to do this. Um, the reason I'm doing it, that I want to show people is that, you know, even 12 years later, there, people do have some challenges. You know, I, I was very lucky to get out on Hudson River, 36 degree water. But what's it going to be like when I get to be able to get in there with the elite of the elite and have to hold myself to that standard, their standard, and face my fear? And my goal is for people to see this. When I come back out of the water again, you can't. There is a pathway to victory. There is a way for triumph. But you have to face your fears. You have to face those things that you've had in the past that may have stopped you or challenged you. And I want to give people a physical, visual metaphor for that. And 
and for me likewise. Dave, before we set you up for our final comment or question, I want to remind our listeners that they can find you on Twitter at Dave Sanderson 2. That's Dave Sanderson, the number two. And also he uh, has a book out that we he actually launched with uh, Moments Mattered. Uh, Dave, your follow-up book was entitled? God Gives You the Lesson When You Are Ready, but we're relaunching that book. It's now going to be called, my fourth book will be called From Turmoil to Triumph. Well, that's, that's a great segue because I was going to ask, the miracle on the Hudson actually gave you the opportunity to turn turmoil into triumph. Can you leave us with a few thoughts on how our sports information professionals can do the same? Yeah, I'll reference back to something I said a moment ago because if I, you know, sports information directors, you know, they one of the responsibilities I believe they have is getting the message out correctly. They want to make sure our people, their, their constituencies understand what the message is. So whatever meanings they're putting in their head, like I said, produces emotion. So if I was coaching them now, I mean, if, if there's a situation that may not be positive, people are looking for people who are congruent. What we've seen over the last year, there's been a lack of congruency in a lot of different places. So no one knows what to believe. So if, you, if you're going to be somebody who's going to be held in esteem and being the voice of your team, voice of your school, come across with congruency and certainty with people. And they will back you to the hilt. They'll go to the mat for you. And that's what I look for in people for my team. First things I look for is, are you congruent with your message, your vision, and your thought process? And if they are, then we can have a conversation and see how we can help each other.